questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Our food, air, and water have been weaponized to compromise your health. But what if I told you the biggest weapon being used by those who pull the strings behind the scenes to contain, distort, denigrate, and to make possible their new world order based on totalitarian control is sound vibration? What they seek to obtain is conscious control, that is, control over our conscious mind, and along with it, the destruction of our hopes for a better world freed from the ravages of war, the plagues of disease, and the unnecessary enmity which artificially exists between one man and another. I hope that by the end of tonight's program, you will discover their sinister plans. We must all tune in to a different vibration, one of hope, love, unity, and light. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fambergas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Elsie Vincent, a writer, musician, photojournalist, and interdimensional explorer. Elsie traveled the globe in search of history, mystery, and adventure, exploring the ruins of the Third Reich throughout Germany, Austria, Italy, and Poland, while concurrently pursuing his passion. He is the author of the book titled The 440 Enigma, The Musical Conspiracy to Separate Mankind from the Divine. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website, along with a link to his website. Elsie Vincent joins me directly from Arizona, not too far away from me. Hello, Elsie, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm fine, Mel. It's very good to uh, hear your voice and uh, very good to uh, interact with you. Likewise. And just to give a little bit of a background, it was probably, would you say, over a year ago that I tried to contact you and for some reason my message fell through the cracks and recently you found it and here you are. That's very true. I, I found it because um, uh, I was going through a, a, my Facebook and I I didn't even realize that there was a uh, a link to my book on Facebook that had been done by a friend of mine, unknowns to me. And uh, when I looked it up, there you were. Um, yeah, it was a surprise, but I'm I'm glad we were able to connect. That's wonderful. Now, this is a very very important topic, and I have said this for years. So why don't we start, we always think of mathematics as the universal language, but is music the closest we have to a universal language? And music, of course, is mathematics. Well, music is mathematics, there's no question about it. Um, mathematics is a universal language of the intellect, but music is the universal language of the emotions, and that's why it, you may have to be familiar with numbers, in order to communicate mathematically, but you don't have to have any sort of education to communicate uh, through music. I mean, you, you can communicate similar emotions um, to various peoples and various cultures with the same musical format. Uh, 
around the world simply by repetition. In fact, there have been studies done in Africa where they've taken symphonic music and played it to different tribal members just to gauge their emotional responses. And the irony is that their emotional responses were nearly identical to playing it anywhere else in the world. That's why music truly is universal uh, because it universally affects the emotions. It affects how we feel and ultimately how we think because our, our emotional state affects our mental state. Very interesting that for decades, I've always been a music lover all my life. I love classical music. I love heavy metal. White spectrum. I've got that same strange wide spectrum myself. I mean, <laughs> I love I love hard hard metal rock music. I love punk. I love country western. I love passionately love classical music. I love jazz. I mean, there's very little that I don't really enjoy because it goes with our emotions. Some people today they what do we have today in the 21st century? Everybody wants immediate gratification, pleasure, and they want to avoid pain. But we have to accept that those are emotions that live with us. So if you feel down today, there's always music to listen to. If we feel up, then we listen to that kind of music. So music is all over the place when it comes to our emotions. But years ago, I noticed that certain songs would just make me sentimental and it gave me a different kind of emotion. And I found out that some of those songs were purposely recorded in 432 hertz. Apparently, the artist knew about this. I think Prince knew about this and recorded some of his music, even though he didn't advertise it in 432. But how do you become knowledgeable about this? Because it was for me probably about seven or eight years ago when somebody pointed the arrow and said, look into that. How did it begin for you? Well, that's a great question, but before I answer it, I just want to make one little side comment about Prince. When when someone asked Prince about 432 hertz and asked him what he thought about it, he said, 432 hertz is the gold standard. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with him more, but as to how I came ab about um, the discovery of it, it was really a I, I sort of stumbled upon it, but I'll, I'll tell you because I think it's quite an interesting story. Um, my wife and I used to uh, go to the San Francisco Symphony, and uh, this was probably, I guess, 15, 20 years ago. We started going to the San Francisco Symphony um, you know, on a very regular basis. And as we did that, I became more and more uh, involved in, in the theory of just music in general. And so I the uh, San Francisco Symphony ordered a course with the concertmaster of the symphony orchestra. The concertmaster is the number two man behind the conductor. So this man is uh, very knowledgeable about music. And the course, uh, which lasted a little over three months, uh, we, we would meet uh, once a week, and he would start from the very beginnings, the very foundation of classical music, uh, which really started around the 12th century and the Gregorian chants. And as we progressed through the various centuries uh, up into the, you know, the 20th, 21st century, the question began to formulate in my mind, okay, you have all these musicians, and obviously in order to play together, they have to have a tuning standard. So the obvious question to me was, how was that standard derived and who, who basically made that decision? 
So one day I, I asked the concert master in class, um, how did this happen? You know, how, how was this arrived at? When did it happen? And, and who made the decision? And he, strangely enough, had absolutely no knowledge of it. He just did not know. It was just To him, it was a given. It was always there. But obviously, it wasn't always there. At some point in time, somebody had to decide that the major tuning frequency, which is A above middle C on a piano, had to be a certain number of cycles per second, a certain tuning frequency. So I wanted to know who decided that A equals 440 hertz or 440 cycles per second is the dominant Western tuning frequency in our world. And since he didn't know, I started doing the research. And when I, once I started doing the research um, and using my computer, I, I really stumbled across a whole world I, I had known nothing about. And I, I learned things about frequency and vibration that really were just incredibly uh, exciting and stimulating mentally. Um, I'd, I'd never, never really considered how profound and how important frequency of vibration were to our world and to music in general. But to, uh, to put it as succinctly as possible, uh, vibration is the organizational principle of matter. And because vibration is the organizational principle of matter, the vibrations that impinge upon our consciousness, our mind, as well as our physical body and bodily structures has a profound effect upon our mental, physical, and emotional health and well-being, as well as, as well as our outlook, as well as how we interrelate with one another to one another, both as human beings on a one-to-one -one basis and as nation-states. Because nation states are nothing more than an accumulation of the human beings that ex exist within their boundaries. So I found, I just you know, the more I read, the the, the more I discovered, and I discovered that uh, Nikola Tesla, who is one of my personal heroes, said that uh, you know when you understand frequency and vibration, you understand the secrets of the universe. Right. And uh, couldn't agree with him more because the more I read, um, the more I discovered. And what I discovered was the profound importance of 432 hertz uh, as a tuning frequency. And as I learned about it, I wondered, well, if, if 432, if, if that particular tuning frequency is so important, then why did we come to impose or how how did the frequency of 440 hertz uh, come about within our western uh, musical uh, orchestral consciousness uh, but just to back up a little bit i just want to uh, provide you with some curious information about the number 432 uh, which you may or may not know but some other people may or may not know it so i think it's really important just to go over it um, the original Stradivarius was designed to be tuned to 432 hertz. The diameter of the moon is 2,160 miles, or 5 times 432. The diameter of the sun is 864,000 miles, or 432,000 times 2. The precession of the zodiac equinox 
is 25,920 years, or 432 times 60. 12 hours equals 43,200 seconds. There are 432 dimples on a golf ball, and 432 essentially is a part of the cosmic sacred number series, and probably the most important part. It is wired into the universe, and it is because we are part of that universe, it's wired into us as human beings. Very interesting. Also, when you were speaking with the orchestra conductor, it just reminded me of my conversations with allopathic doctors. There's a correlation here. You asked about the knowledge of 432 or 440 or how that tuning frequency came about, and he didn't know why, because academia did not tell him. And I tell allopathic doctors, do you know that there's a cure for this or for that? They say, no, that's impossible because I was not taught that in school. So we have to step outside the box. And obviously, there's, there's a powerful force, a hydra, behind our educational system that's pervasive into everything we're talking about here. You know exactly who I'm talking about, right? Oh, I sure do. <laughs> yes, I do. We'll mention more about that, but what is the connection between dopamine, our nervous system, and the different music genres and different tastes? Well, it seems that, you know, everyone has their own particular preference musically. I mean, uh, some people may like a variety of music, but they'll usually have one particular genre that really appeals to them emotionally. And it seems that certain songs produce a, a certain level of increase in dopamine. And the interesting thing about it is that when scientists have studied this increase in dopamine, they found that the human body um, pre precedes or actually creates the dopamine release in anticipation of certain passages of music. So the, the human body knows that this emotional charge is coming and releases dopamine in response to that charge. And then as that certain passage winds down, then the dopamine level goes down again and is ready to expand again once that same passage reappears in music, which is utterly fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing because music really stimulates our emotional responses and our physical responses. Now let's go back in time, way back in time. What is the relationship between fire, music, and contemplation? Well, fire made civilization possible because fire, um, the actual, the, the taming of fire by primitive man necessitated the ability to consciously contemplate what it took to contain that that awful energy that would burn. But if they, they realized that there was, by creating certain structures, they could essentially tame fire and use it constructively rather than have it destroy either their households or their fields or their crops. So a fire enabled what we would euphemistically call the campfire or the tribal gathering. Uh, they would, primitive mankind would cook their food and relax and contemplate and stare into the hypnotic flames of the fire. And it was this process of contemplation that provided the 
stage, yeah, is, which is the best way I can put it, the, the stage for the, the creation of music. And I would imagine that the creation of music began in the most primitive way, which would be just someone taking some bones and making some noise uh, using a percussion effect. And probably the next thing that they developed was the stretching of animal skins over uh, hollow containers to create a drum. But after that was occurred, you know, after that was actually accomplished, some bright soul, and you'll never know who did it, uh, found out that if you drilled holes in, a, in, a, in an animal bone, you can create different tones and sounds. And all of a sudden, well, I wouldn't say all of a sudden, but over a period of time, they, they learned that they could actually do and create a, uh, a form of communal poetry that was audio-inspired, and that did not re require that didn't require verbalization, but instead required the imagination, um, uh, the communal imagination, as well as the contemplative communal ability to enjoy it as it progressed and as members contributed. But, you know, all of this, the music, musical creation and the process of musical creation had a civilizing effect because nothing could be accomplished without the leisure to accomplish it. To have that leisure, you have to have a certain abundance of food. You have to have a certain um, abundance of safety, of not being attacked. And you have to uh, be able to actually relax and have the camaraderie of your companions to create that musical uh, envelope. And that's why music in general was the, the, the spur of the creative process and the, the spur to create ultimately civilization in every form, manner, and shape. That's why it's so incredibly important. And one other aspect of nature that's overlooked by many, but it's right in front of our faces. It's right in front of our, right on, literally, in our hands, if you look at your bones. I'm talking about the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence. How is this connected to vibration and music? Excellent question, Mel. Um, I think, think it was Pythagoras who said that um, music is geometry solidified, and there someone else once said God is a mathematician, but um, the golden ratio, which uh, basically permeates our universe, um, is a divine ratio of number series that can be found at just in everywhere it can be found in the spiral galaxy and in the way the arms of the spiral galaxy, um, basically the, the distance between the arms is a, is a golden ratio. If you look in the, the spiral uh, connections of a pine cone, you can see the golden ratio expressed. Um, you can see it in Greek architecture and the Greeks of course codified um the, the musical scale by basically discovering that the golden ratio uh, provided the basis for the seventh, uh, the seven note, 12 tone musical system, which we use even, even now. Basically, it's the fundamental process by which the creation of the tonal scale has been created. Here's something interesting. The ancient Greeks did not look upon music as a simple form of artistic entertainment. On the contrary, they considered that music reflected and was connected to the most profound cosmic relationship of man and the universe. A 
According to Greek philosophy, a true understanding of music could unlock the secret of nature. Is this similar to what Tesla said? You mentioned it earlier. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. I really think it's it's all related. And, and the reason is uh, basically the principle of ratio. Um, when Leonardo da Vinci uh, created that uh, very famous drawing of the cosmic man, what he was really illustrating there and what mo many people looking at it don't quite understand is what he was illustrating was the co was the actual ratio, or in other words, the the golden section, the divine section of the relationship of mankind's body to different parts of his body, because that cosmic ratio is expressed in everything that is in the cosmos, everything in the universe. It's uh, ex expressed in uh, what Johannes Kepler called the music of the spheres. Uh, it's expressed uh, in in the in the spiral galaxies. The the there's a constant certain vibratory frequency as well as the same a certain um, vibratory ratio that is expressed both in architecture and in the natural structure of plants and animals in proportion of uh, the way leaves are distributed on a on a stem of a plant to the proportions uh, of our physical body those ratios remain constant and they're reflected over and over again in the universe in different structures it's just uh, but what of what they often call the, the cosmic numbers or sacred numbers and those sacred numbers produce uh, something called sacred harmony or sacred harmonic structures um, many people have studied uh, the great periods of the mayan temples but only a very few people have realized that those structures were created around divine ratios, cosmic numbers. Uh, the ancients viewed the world and the universe as they, – they viewed the world as a living, breathing entity. You know, there's this, this ancient saying, as above, so below, but basically that mankind – is a reflection of the earth and of the cosmos. In other words, mankind is the microcosm of the macrocosm. We basically reflect within our physical structure the physical reality of the entire universe, except reduced in size. And the ancients, when they built their temples, uh, they built their temples to reflect these same ratios. And that's why, ironically, we refer to our bodies as, or we used to at least, as the temple. And, and in religious terms, they often refer to our bodies as the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's basically where our consciousness resides. But the the idea simply is our bodies in, in their um, divine ratios and in, in their divine harmonies are a reflection of the world, of the, of the earth, and of the earth's place in the cosmos. Because the numbers are simply the same, except they're expanded into gigantic proportions. When was the first attempt at scientific tuning? Because I think hundreds of years ago, if not thousands, people would tune their instruments, I believe, as an art, based on what their tastes were. But as a scientific tuning, who sat down and measured the pitch? How did it all begin? Well, that that goes back 
till probably the 16th, 17th century. Um, best way I can put it is that uh, th- th- there was a um, composer by the name of Sau... Sau- Sauveur? Yeah, that's just Sauveur. <laughs> Thank you. My French isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he basically attempted create the, the first basis of scientific tuning. But there have been many others who've tried um, in the process to, uh, to go about uh, studying what would form the basis of a scientific tuning. Um, one of the interesting side notes, of, of course, is about, you know, Johann Bach, Johannes Bach had uh, something called the, the well-tempered clavier. Uh, it's a... Um, it's a series of uh, song cycles, but uh, very few people realize that uh, it wasn't uh, because the 12 pitches were equally spaced, but because they could, those uh, songs could be played equally well in all keys. Uh, that's why he wrote the well-tempered clavier in, in the 24 major and minor keys. But, um, you know, the, the use of... Uh, the measurement of frequencies and the trying to find a standard after the 17th century uh, seemed to move uh, in many different directions. They they had people who wanted to have uh, a tuning frequency, a standard tuning frequency, as low as 420 and as high as 460. Um, but Giuseppe Verdi was one of the people who uh, tried to promote 432 hertz. Uh, in fact, he was so passionate about it, he tried to get the Italian legislature to pass a law <laughs> imposing it upon Italian musicians, but he wasn't successful. Um, but you know, the uh, the interesting thing that occurred when I was doing my study was that I stumbled across um, stumbled across a, an interesting matrix of interests, and that was the matrix of interests between the Third Reich and the Rockefeller Foundation. And uh, strangely, well, you know, I actually have to back up. Now, hold on. That that goes later in the show because there's a few things before that. I don't want to jump there ahead. Are, I want to go are. in chronological order. That's probably, okay. I think, <laughs> this is what started the globalization of the standardizing of this tuning frequency. But a couple of things. Number one, can we look at a keyboard mm-hmm. and see the Fibonacci sequence somewhat or not? Well, I think a musician could see it, yeah. Um, but you, you know, whether or not you can see it, you can def- definitely hear it when you play those. Um, when you when you play the t- when you play the t- the the notes on the keyboard, you can actually hear it. Yeah, I mean, it it makes an an eternal internal sense to the internal mind. Um, so. Whether or not it makes visual sense as your as your hands go across the keyboard, you as you as you hit the notes as you play the notes, it makes sense to your mind. So I guess in that sense, you really can see it. Um, I don't know if you can see the the direct numerical relationship. Probably not. But and while you're taking your drink, let me ask you this: You mentioned Bach. I also like to mention Mozart. He used as a composer, A430. I presume that perhaps Bach and the other, Handel and the rest of them, used different ones because, as I mentioned before, this was an art. Now, even in uh, France, I believe, 
they made it law in 1859 to make the tuning frequency A420. So obviously they were working on this standardizing way before. When did it go to A440? Well, I guess that, that would be jumping ahead, wouldn't it? Go all the way to A440. Well, um, let's back up a little bit to, to the turn of the last century. Oh, by the way, A435 was the law in France. Okay. Well, as you as you pointed out, there have been, and as I pointed out, there have been uh, different nations and, and different musicians and different composers have argued for A being in different frequencies. And in fact, I believe it was Richard Wagner wanted A to be 456, which is really way up there. But um, obviously, for musicians from different countries to play together effectively at some point as you know as the world progressed as communications progressed there had to there just had to become a global tuning standard of course so the question really is uh, question on the table is how did that all come about and from my research um this is what i discovered um and Again, it's fascinating because, in a way, I grew up with it without knowing about it. Uh, I I grew up in Chicago, and uh, if you go down uh, the the main freeway that goes into Chicago, um, there on the side of uh, Ravenswood and Berto Avenue, there's a huge, enormous five-story building that says Deegan on it. And this building is five stories, and it covers one square city block. And I never really paid much attention to it. I, you know, when I went when I drove to the university uh, uh, every day, I would pass it by and look at it and admire the architecture, but never gave it much of a thought. But when I started doing my research on uh, vibrational frequencies, I found out that. John Deegan, who is the man that the Deegan Musical Instrument Company basically was named after, and it was his company, John Deegan uh, was probably the, the most fundamental uh, point man for the imposition of 440 hertz into uh, the American contemporary music uh, orchestra, as well as uh, one of his financial benefactors, which we'll get to. But what happened was um, John Deegan was the, in the 1870s, 1880s, was uh, making percussion instruments. He liked um, percussion instruments like the xylophone, the vibraphone, um, the marimbas, anything that could be struck and produce a, a certain sound. And John Deegan was the opinion that A, or the, the tuning frequency of, of his musical instruments, should be 440 hertz, or 440 cycles per second. Now, this was not, uh, you know, an, an exceptional thought, because there are a lot of people who agreed with him and some who disagreed. But as John Deegan popularized his musical instruments throughout the United States, he uh, received the um, the backing of a very wealthy financial benefactor, and that was the, the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, John Deegan was instrumental in founding uh, the American Federation of Musicians in 1896, 
1910, uh, the American Federation of Musicians received a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation to make 440 hertz the tuning standard for um, percussion uh, instruments as well as all Western orchestral music instruments in the United States. Isn't that when the building was built, 1910, or when it was finished? The building was finished in 1912, which meant that in order for the building to be finished in 1912, it had to be have started and planned around two years prior right. because because it's so enormous. So even though I have yet to uncover direct um, a direct pipeline of money to dig in for that building, I mean, think about it. This man was simply a musical instrument salesman. How did he get the money to build a building that enormous? It's like a cathedral. Um, and it, it houses everything from a metallurgy shop to a, to a leather tanning shop. But the interesting thing, Elsie, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the th instruments that were sold there by Diga Music were percussion instruments, which you could not detune. For example, a tuning fork. If you make it at E440, that's it. You cannot detune that. That, that's exactly right, and that was ex the exact reason why Rockefeller um, promoted and gave the American Federation of Musicians, through the person of uh, John Deegan, that, that grant money. Percussion instruments basically lock into a symphonic orchestra, the tuning frequency of 440 hertz, because once they are created, they can never be retuned. Once once a xylophone or glockenspiel or any or a kind bell. of – Or a bell or any kind of musical percussion instruments created, that's it. It is set in stone, except that it's set in metal. That that instrument will only vibrate at a, a given tuning frequency. And when you set the tuning standard at 440 hertz, it affects every note above and below that note within the uh, musical scale. So once these instruments of Deegan began to be introduced into classical music orchestras, the orchestras had no choice but to go along <laughs> with that tuning frequency, which is really clever and very sly and subtle. But the real question is, why on earth would the Rockefeller Foundation, which really has nothing to do with music, uh, I mean, when you look at it on a global scale, I mean, they're, obviously they're into oil and pharmaceuticals. And why would they even bother with musical instruments, let alone trying to impose a tuning standard on the Western world of a certain musical frequency. Well, that really piqued my curiosity and imagination. And that set me off in a whole uh, avenue of exploration to try to understand why, when, as, as I've discussed with you, why for the, the frequency of 432 and the number 432 is found throughout the universe. Now, what makes it all equally interesting is uh, the American Federation of Musicians adopted that in 1910, uh, adopted A equals 440 as a tuning standard at that time. But that did not affect the rest of the world. I mean, the rest of the world still had different um, tuning standards. 440 was one of the ones, but there were also – there was a big push for 432. Interestingly enough, uh, the British and the French classical music 
musicians were strongly in favor of 432 hertz. But strangely enough, the Rockefeller Foundation allied itself with Joseph Goebbels and the Third Reich to have a conference in 1938 uh, in in Britain, of all places, uh, with the British Standards Association trying to impose 440 hertz as the tuning standard of Germany and England for God can only imagine what reason. But before, before that came along, didn't he, wasn't Deegan or the Deegan company at least responsible for starting the brainwashing with this sound? Let me play this sound and you know what I'm talking about. NBC television. Everybody knew that sound and it became pervasive even at people's homes, the doorbell sounds just like that. What was the real purpose of that chime? The real purpose of that chime, which and that those, the chime was created by the Deegan Company, by the way. The purpose of that chime was to broadcast throughout the United States over over the the new discovery, the new invention called radio. The the tritone chime of the NBC radio network, which is also um, controlled by the Rockefellers, by the way, through the RCA Victor Corporation. And that chime, that pattern permeated the United States from the mid-20s onwards all the way through the mid-50s. But even more so, that same chime was used on all the railroads to bring uh, diners to dinner. And uh, another thing people don't really know about, but the Deegan Company created something called the Deegan Carillons. The, the Deegan Carillons were a huge chime structure that was about 20 feet tall and almost 20 feet wide. And they were erected in all the major um, universities and churches throughout the United States and in all the principal cities. And every um, hour on the hour, except of course late at night, but especially at at noon and at six o'clock in the evening, these chimes would ring out throughout the United States, throughout the principal um, population centers of the United States, bathing the population in vibrations and frequencies based on 440 hertz. So the question becomes, well, so what's the big deal? 432, 440, why should it matter? Well, the the reason it matters is that vibration is the organizational principle of matter and also vibration has a patterning effect on matter. In other words, the exposure to vibration will either hurt or hinder the cellular function of of the uh, physical structure of our bodies and that cellular structure will ultimately hurt or hinder the way we think and 432 being based on cosmic sacred number and cosmic proportion the divine ratio um, the the golden mean etc is beneficial to our structures because our structures are based on that ratio 440 simply is not 440 is discordant disharmonious creates believe it or not cellular conflict and cellular destruction subtly of course it doesn't happen all at once over a given period of time but um that is what happens 
um, there was a um, invention in the in the seventies uh, called the cymoscope. And the cymoscope actually allows any any person to actually see the the patterning of of sound waves at different frequencies, and you can actually see the difference between. So, uh, sound frequencies that are based on the divine ratio, the golden ratio, or sacred cosmic number like 432 versus 440. Uh, when you actually look at the structures they produce on the cymoscope, you can see that 432 is very harmonious. It's sort of triangular shaped. 440 is scattered. It's all over. It does not create a structure. It creates chaos. So if you can imagine uh, having a tuning system that's based on a keynote and that keynote is based on chaos, not on a divine number, not on a cosmic ratio, but on a number that in and of itself creates chaos in, in physical structures, what happens when you have an entire Western world, a Western orchestra, Western music? where all of that music is based on frequencies that are not cosmically proportioned or in cosmic harmony. What it creates is cosmic disruption of our physical, mental, and spiritual processes. And what it creates is conflict, disharmony, disunity, uh, physical ill health, mental ill health. And it creates the... Uh, creates the world that we were living in right now, <laughs> a disharmonious one. So if you're part of the Rockefeller family, you're involved in oil, war, disease, and many other industries, disease management, that is, via, yeah, via Big Pharma. The most important aspect of your operation is to what? Increase profits. And A440 is a huge tool. Now, can Western music as it has developed over the past, uh, what, 100 years since the keynote tuning standard of A440 was adopted, could actually be that it is the secret driver for the disharmony and chaos we see in our world today? Well, if it's, if it's not the main one, it's certainly one of the main factors. My own, my own personal belief is it is the main factor. And I think it's the reason it's the main factor is because it's so pernicious and subtle and it's it's the one factor that is all encompassing that so very few people would even bother to consider most people when they look for the roots of conflict within our society they look for they look at political structures they look at disparities in economics and all these of obvious you know are obvious aspects of conflict and tension but what almost no one really looks at is frequency and vibration. And that is because frequency and vibration through musical expression is a near universal constant. And it affects all of us because we all have music we like. We all listen to music we like, but so few of us realize that the music we like, even though consciously, from a conscious perspective, may be the most delightful music we can imagine and it may be utterly beautiful at a subconscious level at a cellular level it can be extremely destructive despite the fact that consciously it seems very 
It seems the opposite. It seems sweet and positive. And that's why it's so pernicious because the conscious mind can't perceive the destruction that's happening on a subconscious or cellular level. But if you look through uh, the cymoscope, you I mean, it's indisputable. You can see the difference between not just 440 and versus 432 as a tuning standard, but you can see that the notes that are based uh, both above and below those frequencies when the when you use those tuning standards are either going to be very positive, beneficial, creating structures that are stable versus creating chaos. And that's what you find through uh, examining musical structures in the cymoscope. And that's very interesting. I want to dive more into this cymatics and why it's relevant to our discussion. But you say in your book regarding this A440 tuning frequency, what reason what motive could anyone possibly have to justify such evil? There's only one reason. Although this snake has three heads, the lust for money, power, and control of humanity, or dare we say, vibrational tuning for illness, chaos, and war. Yep, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That That is the reason. And, and you know, uh, I, I think I mentioned in my book that it actually goes beyond the lust for money. Because, as I said, you, you know, you might be extremely wealthy, but how many houses, even if you have a dozen houses, how many can you live in at one yeah. time? But, uh, you know, when when someone asked Henry Kissinger about about money and power and, you know, how much money is enough, etc., and uh, he said, you know, it's not about money. It's not about amassing money because after a certain point, You've got more than you can ever spend anyway, so what difference does it make? What it really comes down to, what really gets this strange segment of humanity, what creates their high, their dopamine rush, is to control other people. And that means the controlling of events, the controlling of wars and conflict, the controlling of political results, the controlling of the surface population of the world. <clears throat> One of the things I didn't mention in my book, but probably will be in my my coming book, is the uh, the Georgia Guidestones. And the Georgia Guidestones were secretly erected by somebody supposedly by the name of R.C. Christian, but of course uh, the man can't be found. Uh, but the, the Georgia Guide, Guidestones are... Um, are a granite structure in eight different languages, and they essentially give commandments to humanity how to live upon the face of the earth. One of the interesting aspects of the Georgia Guidestones is that it tells humanity to to keep its population at 500 million or below. Well, 500 million people on the surface of the earth is exactly um, – one-seventh of the po current population, which means that the people who erected that, the uh, the all-knowing, wise, beneficent, uh, secret society that put those guidestones up, basically is promoting the idea of eliminating six-sevenths of the population of the world. And how do they plan to do it? Well, how would you do it? You can only do it through plague, through war, through famine, through pestilence, through conflict. And how is that going to be brought about? Well, it's going to be brought about through the creation of more tension, more fear, more conflict. Um, and, of course, the people who actually run our world currently will be more than happy because they'll escape it. 
they'll escape the war, the conflict, the terror, the the pestilence, the plagues, the diseases, and uh, they'll have a or what they what they want is to have a an earth that is manageable, and what is manageable to them is one that has a reduced population by six sevenths of the people, uh, basically put in the ground and dead, and that's what they want. And I really think that um, controlling the frequency and vibration of of our music is all a part of that process. I'm just looking for a part here that I wrote before I forget it. And I can't find it. It'll come, back, it'll come back to me later. But I'm sure you were of the work of the late Dr. Masaru Emoto. You quote him in, in your book. Some of the same patterns we see in ice, we also see with powder or, or sand. When they're hit with sound, they're almost perfectly aligned geometrical patterns. Since our bodies are mostly composed of water, about 60%. What effect do you see? And I can use the word health because... The FDA doesn't allow us to provide health advice, but what positive or negative effects do you see when sound hits our bodies with different sound frequencies? Do you think sound affects us at a cellular level or our cell membranes? Um, actually, I, I know it does based on my research. Uh, every cell has something called ion channels, and ions, an ion channel at a, the atomic level is... Shit the electrical patternings of each individual cellular structure and the sound frequency and vibration affects the composition or the arrangement of those ion channels. The ion channels basically, or they're like the blueprint, the electrical blueprint that the cell uses to create itself. Um, there is a, an interesting man who, um, I just very briefly mentioned in, in the book I wrote, his name is George Lakovsky. Uh, and George Lakovsky um, was a an experimenter, an electrical experimenter, who lived uh, during the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s. But uh, George Lakovsky basically um, was able to cure many diseases through uh, machines he created that worked on frequency and vibration. Uh, he was able to reduce and eliminate tumors. He was able to reverse diseases. Uh, he did all sorts of things that modern-day modern, modern day science would consider miraculous. Um, and he did it, again, through using frequency and vibration. One of the things he discovered is that every organ in our body has has what he would call the prime frequency. And a prime frequency is a certain frequency that basically is the most beneficial to that organ structure. You know, In other words, what he, what he basically said was that uh, the liver has a prime frequency, the lungs, uh, the pituitary gland. I mean, every structure in our body has a frequency that is the most harmonious to it. He also found out... Um, and Royal Raymond Reif is another person who found this out, yeah. um, that all cells have, you know, all cells like the blood cells, the white cells, etc., have a certain frequency that is very, very beneficial to them. But, and they also found that diseased cells have certain frequencies that are beneficial to them. Um, Lukowski and, and Reif found that by bathing the body in a vibrate, vibratory pattern that was um, 
unhealthy for the disease cells that they could kill the disease cells without even touching the healthy cells. And that was the basis, the the fundamental theoretical basis for their their cures. They were bathing the body in frequencies that were destructive to the um, malignant cells. And by doing that, they were able to uh, kill those cells and just have them flushed from the body. Of course, the AMA, the American Medical Association, was not very happy with that. Neither was uh, the Pharmaceutical Association or the owners of the great pharmacy houses, the Rockefellers, etc. And therefore, that's why we have a um, a Western medicine uh, universe that is basically based on popping pills rather than uh, other therapies. Um, one of uh, one of my other great heroes, Edgar Casey, said that the medicine of the future will be based on color and sound. But what he was really saying is it's going to be based on frequency and vibration. Uh, there's a uh, there's a I, I guess you'd call her a healer. Her name is Trish Devney. She's another Tucson resident. Um, Trish had um, metastatic breast cancer. Um, she was faced with a horrible choice of, you know, the usual Western solution, which is either cut, burn, or poison. That's right. Cut through surgery, burn through radiation, or poison through chemotherapy. She chose none of those. What she decided was to heal herself through frequency and vibration. So what Trish did was, uh, and she told me the story personally, so I know it, you know, from a personal basis. She went uh, in found a bunch of Tibetan bowls. Tibetan bowls are simply bowls that if you vibrate the rims with a, a piece of uh, a wood covered in leather, they will vibrate at certain frequencies. So what she did is she found a bowl that she really liked the vibration. You know, It just seemed to be harmonious to her inner being. She took that bowl home and she vibrated it for six months. In six months' time, her cancer was gone. There wasn't a trace of it. And uh, she became a healer after that. There's another. There was a person in San Francisco, and unfortunately, and she was a doctor, and I forgot her name. Unfortunately, I didn't know her personally, but I did read her story. She had a horrible uh, tumor on her chest. It wasn't breast cancer; it was something else. But she did the same thing. She used sound and frequency to eliminate that. Now, I'm not advocating people do that, so I'm not going to get in trouble with the AMA and the pharmaceutical houses. But all I'm saying is there's a whole other field of, um, shall we say, health <laughs> and uh, wellness that has yet to be discovered and explored. Uh, perhaps some people are doing it, but it's certainly not Western medicine. No, and when you count how many natural medicine practitioners have been dying in the past uh, year, 85 as of right now. I mean, just the last few days, another one just quote-unquote committed suicide, a healthy person. I wasn't going to mention this, but since you mentioned these two individuals who have cured themselves using sound years ago, someone contacted me and, and he found that this modality and he researched it. He had throat cancer, by the way. And uh, he found that the sound frequencies kill a number of viruses and improve health for many reasons. He didn't want to come in the program because he knew that 
it would be probably the end of, of him. And I'm not a scientist, but as you said, I wonder if our organs have a key frequency, so do our cells, and so do viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Just like we can eliminate sound by inverting a sound wave, I'm sure we could kill pathogens the same way. Well, I, I completely agree. I mean, it certainly seems that that's the case. I knew George Lukowski thought that that were the case. Royal Raymond Reif thought the same thing. Um, you know, if if sound can affect the patterning of the, the actual cellular structure through the ion channels, then something that is harmonious to well-being will affect the cells in a positive way and just as just as obvious, something that's disharmonious will affect them in a negative way. So if a person can determine, or if a, uh, a scientific experimenter could determine what certain frequency would affect uh, cancer cells, um, and it may be that the cancer cells of the uh, throat may be different from cancer cells of the, the brain or the lungs or wherever else, but if you find the, the killer frequency that this cancer cells react negatively to and, and uh, affect them negatively. You can effectively destroy those cells or at least diminish them and have them flush from the body because the body will flush any cells that are dead. And um, in, that, in that method, eliminate the disease from the body. Uh, unfortunately, you know, George Lakowski, I should also mention, uh, had a very untimely end. He was uh, going to, to be giving a demonstration of his... Um, Just like Rife. Yes. Milikovsky uh, was in New York City, and uh, he stepped off a uh, stepped off the curb, and a truck ran over ran over him. Um, some people say it was just an accident, and it may have been. But uh, considering what he was doing, I don't know if it really was. Uh, you never know with these people. <laughs> I've had this dream for years that happens every so often. You know, hyperbaric oxygen chambers or MRI chambers. I've had these dreams where people go through it. They just go inside. But this one, you're standing up. You close the door. There's a little keypad. And you put whatever disease or discomfort or tumor or whatever it is, and you put it in a computer, and it accesses a matrix. And all of a sudden, you press a button and a specific sound just bathes you for X number of minutes. And you come out and you feel better and you do that a few times until the malady is gone. I wonder why that comes to my mind. And I'm sure it wouldn't be legal anyway. Well, you know, I think it would only be illegal if you promoted it as being a cure. But I think any human being is... A massage or, or entertainment or therapy. Any, any human being has the right to uh, basically bathe their body in the frequencies of their choice, at least so far. <laughs> Don't you think they'll catch on really quickly, what we would be trying to do? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm all for I'm all for experimenting. All of a sudden, doctors saying, "Wait a second! I hear this guy Elsie Vincent and Mel. Uh, my patients are going to them, and they're not coming back. What's going on?" <laughs> they wouldn't be happy, but you know, much more than the doctors with the pharmaceutical companies. Yes, yes, very happy. Do you think musical notes can entrain our brain just like TVs entrain our brains? Yeah, I really do. And uh, the 
one of the ways they do that is through the process of repetition and resonance. Um, resonance uh, is an interesting phenomenon because, um, well, the best way of describing it is if if you had a um, if you had a guitar and you struck a good guitar chord and you were in the vicinity of piano, um, you would find that certain strings on that piano would be vibrating in sympathetic resonance with the strings of the guitar. Um, that's because the frequency and vibration creates resonant pattern structures and affecting anything that has a tuning that is similar. You know, and actually resonance foundation of radio. When you think of radio, what is what it really is radio? A certain signal is sent into into the atmosphere. Well, is sent into the ether electronically, and we have a tuner that vibrates in resonant time with those vibrations, and then translates it translates those frequencies back into structure. Whether that structure is the human voice or musical performance. Those resonant patterns are reassembled so we can enjoy them. Uh, but yeah, resonance can can uh, can either be positive or life affirming or negative or anti anti biologic. It all depends on whether those uh, resonant patterns follow the uh, cosmic ratios or the cosmic harmonies of our world. You know, are they are they based upon the uh, the divine ratios and number series, or are they are they not of a part of that? And I think that's that that's really the problem with our current musical structures. Um, they're all based on 440, except for very few musicians who are getting clued in. Uh, there are some there are some musicians who are changing that, but you know the majority don't know anything about about what you and I are discussing right here. So they go about playing. Um, and basing all their compositions on 440. And uh, unfortunately, we end up listening to it. Uh, we really have little choice when we turn on the radio or television or go to the movies. And uh, that's what we hear. And as good as it might sound to us consciously, I really think there's a cumulative effect through the through the process of repetition that basically wears down the health of our cellular structure, but it also wears down the health of our mental processes. And when our mental processes are affected, it affects the way we interact with other human beings, both on a one-to-one -one basis and also on a, in a basis of larger social patterns and ultimately nation-states. And I honestly think, and as I stated in the book, it's one of the reasons we've got continued conflict in our world. Um, it's it's a matter of evil vibrations created by evil people. And, uh, you know, it, that also raises the question, I'm sure someone has thought of it, well, how did the Rockefellers know this? If no, Hold it, hold it, because that's going to be part two, part two of the show. We want to go in chronological order. And I think things are changing. I'm very optimistic about this. You know, sometimes I'm very realistic, folks, but I'll tell you why I'm optimistic. We have to take a one-on-only break, but I have a couple of questions that I'll get your answer on the other side. And also, when we come back, folks, I'll tell you how to get a piece of software that's going to allow you to change music as an art, as opposed to a scientific tuning frequency. You'll change it to wherever you want, but I suggest 
A432 Hertz. And you can get that. I'll send a link to our members on the other side. Because there are plenty of people out there. Alan Howarth, a great musician. I loved his music scores. Escape from New York, one of my favorite ones. And he has a website that I'm not going to advertise here, but he charges a dollar for every song that you convert from A440 to A432. I mean, if if you're like me and I have a big, big collection of music, I always use this piece of software to listen to the music at, at that. But a couple of questions. What happened in 1939 between a triumvirate, namely the Rockefeller Foundation, the British Standards Institute, and Germany's Third Reich, led by Joseph Goebbels. Also, is it true that the only place that kept A432 hertz were places of worship, like churches, so that when people heard the music, they felt as if they were having a religious experience, when in fact, that's the way it used to be with any music everywhere else. But tell us, how can people buy the book? And you're saying that you have another book that you're writing or coming up soon? Yeah, I, I'm um, writing a successor to the first book, um, The 440 Enigma, and I'm going to uh, entitle it The 400, the 432 Hertz Revolution, because basically it, it it's going to be describing all the discoveries I've made since I've written the book, since I wrote, wrote the first book, and it'll also be describing the the movement, which is actually like a gathering storm of uh, knowledgeable musicians and folks who are realizing that 432 hertz really should be the the de facto tuning standard of our world, and for the and for all the reasons I've already described, because it's mentally, physically, psychologically, spiritually beneficial to our our structures uh, rather than being detrimental. And um, I'm going to do, going to describe all the the um, the new discoveries I've made. Um, I'm going to go more into uh, Dr. Emoto's um, experiments and what they imply, which we can talk about if you want to, in the, the next half. And uh, it's going to be a lot, a lot bigger, a lot longer, and a lot more exciting. When we come back, what I want to discuss is what changed, when it changed and what we can do to revert back to where we used to be, because that is what's going to connect us back again. We have been disconnected in so many ways. One that I discuss all the time is once DuPont came up with plastics, what do we wear on our shoes now? Plastic soles when it used to be uh, leather. And we, we disconnected ourselves from the ground. And ever since that came along, a lot of disease have crept up. I always ground. I'm grounding right now all the time. All my pains are gone. I want you to try that. That's different than what we're talking about, but that's another modality. And also, one last thing. I want to read this email from, a quick email from one of our listeners. He sent it to me a long time ago, but I hadn't had a show directly dealing with 432. Hello, Mel. I have enjoyed your interviews with our mutual friend, Neil Kramer, as well as the interviews with Ananda Bossman and others on the 432 research. I'm a musician based in New Orleans and have already begun performing in 432. I'm also taking an ensemble into the studio this April to record using this ancient sacred tuning. The album will be entitled A New Earth. Thanks, Mel, for the inspiration and all the great work you do. Gratitude, peace, and transmutation. Kari Allen Lee, he's the artist. And I've also added a song coming up next from his new CD, which he sent me a few months ago. Wonderful jazz CD, folks. It's working. One artist, 
at a time will make a difference. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.